Right, uh, welcome to the writing workshop, the first of three workshops today uh, at LSE. I don't know how many of you can be coming to the others, but I'll mention them again just at the end. Uh, my name is Jonathan Gibbs. I'm a PhD student at the University of East Anglia at the moment, taking a PhD in creative and critical writing, where I did uh, an MA as well. And uh, I'm teaching undergraduates there uh, on some of their creative writing modules, among other things. And uh, the last novel that I've written is currently uh, sitting on various publishers' desks. I've been sent there by my agent, so I'm going to try and share some of my thoughts uh, and experience about writing those books together with some of the thoughts experience that I've taken in from my teachers with you this morning. Um, it's billed as uh, a workshop. Now, in my experience in academia, a workshop is where people bring along work, share it around with other people and comment on each other's work. We're not going to be doing that here. Uh, it doesn't really fit the uh, time scale and the process. A workshop or class can involve writing exercises. Um, I can see most of you've got pens and paper or notebooks in front of you, which is very good. There are going to be a couple of writing exercises in this. Uh, the reason there aren't more is not because I don't think writing exercises are good, but because I don't think this is necessarily the right place for them. So the, right except the writing exercises we're going to be doing are just to give you an idea of what you can do at home, because I don't necessarily think that any of you will write anything here in this room that is going to be of any great usefulness because it's not your writing place and not your writing space. Um, what there is going to be as well as those few writing exercises is a sort of mini lecture or pep talk, the idea being that you will get sent away at the end of 50 minutes with more ideas and enthusiasm for whatever it is you're doing um, in your own writing. And there is going to be a chance at the end for questions as well, so do scribble down any questions and I will answer them if I possibly can. Um, the first bit of audience interaction is just for me to get a sense of where you are all at so that I can think about what I'm going to talk to you about. What I want to know is, hands up everybody here who is writing something at the moment. About half, that's very good. And hands of everybody here that is thinking about writing something or wants to write something. That should be everybody else. If there's anybody that hasn't put their hand up, you're in the wrong room. Or you should pretend that you put your hand up to the first one or the second one. Um, and the other question I want to ask is hands up everybody who is writing or is thinking about writing or wants to write a novel. And hands up everybody who is thinking about writing or wants to write or is writing short stories. And hands up everybody that is thinking or about writing or is writing a play or poetry or something that I haven't covered or a memoir or a screenplay or a children's book or a joke. Um, I don't write any of those, so most of what I say is going to be geared towards writing stories and uh, novels, but I think most of what I say is probably applicable to um, absolutely everything. Um, so, first thing is, well done to everybody for coming out at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning when you could be doing something far more fun like reading the newspaper or uh, drinking a cup of coffee or going shopping or going for a walk in the countryside or whatever it is. So that means that you clearly have got bit of initiative to come out and think about how to get writing. However, bad news for you all is that you could actually be writing at home now <laughs> instead of sitting here thinking about why you're not. So clearly you've all got a problem. Um, and I, I could be, I could say the same thing about myself. Um, so the brutal fact about writing anything is that you've got to sit down and do it in order to do it. Writing is an activity, not an identity. Uh, you can have a shelf full of books, this is my idea, I can't believe you can have a shelf full of books with your name on it, but if you're not writing anything at the moment, you're not a writer, you're a former writer. So what you've got to do is sit down and do it, that is the only advice uh, that anyone can give, and I could finish the talk there, but I don't suppose anyone would be particularly happy about that. Um, so there are two problems people come up with when they 
are faced with the fact that to write something you've got to actually sit down and write. One is finding time is hard. Uh, I'm assuming that for most of you, like for me, that is a problem. Uh, the novels that I wrote and the MA that I did, I did while having full-time or part-time jobs and children. Um, and a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today is how to get around the problem uh, that you don't have enough time to write. I'm going to try and help you see how you can turn that to your advantage. And the other problem with writing is that when you actually sit down at the blank page or the computer, you find it daunting. Uh, and that, again, is something that I'm going to try and think of ways to get around. So part of this um, little workshop is going to be ideas about how to actually make use of your time so that when you are actually at the page or the coalface or the computer or wherever, you're making the best use of it. Uh, and the other thing is, there's going to be a little bit about you know, how to get ideas if you actually haven't got anything you're working on at the moment. Um, so, a lot of creative writing guides will say, you know, you need a time to write, you need a ritual. They will say that some writers write standing up at lecterns, some write in the, write in the morning, some write in the evening, some write after two gin and tonics, whatever it is, you've got to find your way of doing it. Those creative writing guides are particularly unhelpful because most of the writers they talk about are people who don't do anything but write. So can write for three hours in the morning, then go for a walk, and then do correspondence in the afternoon. That doesn't apply to most of us. So you then find advice, say what well, J.K. Rowling wrote in cafes when her baby was asleep in the buggy, and T.S. Eliot wrote before work at the bank, and Kafka wrote in the evening after his work at the, the lawyers, I think it was. Um, so that's your problem. I can't help you with finding a time to work. Um, but you've got to be able to find some time to write, but the good news is that all the time when you're not writing is time that can be used to help you in your endeavours. And that's why I've called this uh, writing on and off the page. So I want to talk a little bit about how uh, not only creative writing can be busy around a busy life, but you can use your busy life to uh, help your creative writing. Don't think that if you quit your job and sat down at a computer, you would necessarily be able to use that time to do writing. When I went to UEA, as I say, I was doing an MA, I had a part-time job and a family. And there were people that quit their jobs, got onto the MA, they were very happy, went there and immediately got writer's block because they didn't know what to write. I am glad to say that I've never ever sat down at the computer and not known what to write, largely because I use all the time when I'm not at the computer thinking about what I'm going to be write, writing when I'm there. So work it off the page gives you two advantages. One is it gets you out into the world, obviously. There's nothing worse than those poor people who went all the way up to lovely Norwich and sat in a little room in a shared student house and immediately cut themselves off from all the avenues <coughs> of life that they wrote about, that they, you know, they had before and then started bringing along stories to workshops that were about what it was like to sit in rooms in Norwich not having anything to write about. Um, so, you may have jobs, you may have other things you do when you're not writing, and that's not to say that you should be using material, you should be using the experience that you have in your life as material for what you write. I'd never suggest that everyone should go away, away and write semi-autobiographical fiction, but the, it's the little corners of experience that happen out there that can become cornerstones for what you write. So we're going to be thinking about that a little bit in this workshop. But the most important thing about having other time and how you should use your time when you're not uh, writing is that you can process. And the main argument of the, this bit of the workshop, I'm going to say, is that you should spend as much time as possible when you're not writing, away from the cold face, daydreaming. Um, and I'm the only, I've only got about six slides here, and most of them are just quotes, which just give you something to stare at when, um, when, you're, uh, when you're not listening, and I'll give a, you know, a list of references where they come from at the end. Um, writing is only a step away from daydreaming. Daydreaming and writing stories are both works of the imagination. 
only difference between them is that daydreaming is private and writing is shared. So you could say that writing, creative writing, is a form of daydreaming made concrete. That's something that Sigmund Freud wrote over 100 years ago. The creative writer does the same thing as the child at play. He creates a world of fantasy which he takes very seriously while separating it sharply from reality. And clearly, those of you that are not actually paying attention to what I'm saying but staring off into the corner are probably the true writers among you because hopefully one thing that gets said, sparks off a train of thought in your mind, can take you somewhere more creative than the thing you're actually thinking about at the time. But it's not just the writer who daydreams, it's the reader as well. If writing is a form of daydreaming, then reading is a form of daydreaming too. You could say it's guided daydreaming. When you're sat on the tube and you miss your stop, it's because you are involved in a daydream that the writer created for you. And I think it's very important that all fictional writing <coughs> involves a, a specific impulse in the writer's head and a specific experience in the reader's head as they read it. And the difficult thing is the bit in the middle. It has to, be, there's a it has to become general <coughs> in the middle. So for a great story, a very specific thought in my head gets generalised in such a way on the page that you can all make a very specific response to it in your head. And if you can find a way of getting a generalised uh, concrete version of your own individual <coughs> experience, then you're getting towards what creative writing is. And this idea that the dream it happens in the writer's and the reader's mind is one that I found... Uh, again, or I found repeated in the work of this creative writing guru, John Gardner, who's written a couple of very good books that I've enjoyed a lot. Um, and unfortunately, they don't, they're not published in this country, but you can get them on Amazon and such like. We recreate with minor and for the most part unimportant changes the vivid and continuous dream the writer worked out in his mind, uh, his mind, revising and revising until he got it right and captured in language so that other human beings, whenever they feel like it, I open his book and dream that dream again. And when I read that, it, I felt that it totally uh, reinforced everything that I thought about uh, what writing is and what reading is. And John Gardner makes a, if you, want, if you wanted something to put on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, then John Gardner, <coughs> thing I've put in bold, is uh, what John Gardner thinks of as the, uh, the absolute epitome of creative writing, which is that it must create a vivid and continuous dream in the mind of the reader. And vivid means that it's got to be full of detail, so you actually see what's happening in your mind's eye as you read it. And continuous means that the writer mustn't do anything that trips up the reader as they are dreaming that dream. Uh, and the sort of things that John Gardner talks about being, that will stop a dream being continuous is bad spelling, bad grammar, bad punctuation, bad sentence construction, too much description, overtly silly rhetorical uh, description. So when you're writing and when you're reading back your own work, you've got to try and think what is stopping the reader from allowing, or what is preventing that reader's dream from continuing, what is stopping them getting that. So I think that all of you with busy lives should spend as much of your, as your time as possible when you're not writing, daydreaming. You use that time to organise and rehearse the story that you're working on in your head. You don't plot it all in one go. You go one scene at a time with a certain amount of daydreaming pitching into the future. You visualise your characters and you spend time with them. I went to a Q&A with the writer A.L. Kennedy recently and all the way through she talked about the people in her books. And when someone said you're using the word people instead of characters, she said something along the lines of, yes, if you're going to ask people to spend time reading one of your novels, then the least you can do is get involved enough in your own characters that they are more than characters, they are people. So when my family or the people next to me on the tube see me staring blankly off into the space, it's usually because I'm spending the time that I should be spending with them with people in my head who are characters in my book. And you should use that time to observe your characters, be in the room with them, 
and think of them rather, or think of yourself rather as a theatre director who is improvising a play. So you give them somewhere to start, you watch where they go, and as soon as they start to go wrong, you pull them back to where they were. You imagine dialogue, imagine actions, gestures, expressions and feelings. And you can do all that because what writer's block is, is sitting down in front of a computer or a blank screen and not being able to do that. So if you don't spend all your time when you're not writing, thinking about your characters or your people in your books, you'll have to do it when you're sat in front of the screen. And that will cause, at the very least, wasted time, and at the worst, a certain amount of anxiety. And I found this quote, which I quite liked as well. Neil Simon, the American playwright, said, I have the feeling that in the back of your mind there's a little writer who writes while you're doing other things, which is a rather cute way of saying the same thing. So do it when you're loading the dishwasher, do it when you're walking the dog, on your commute. And when you're reading, if you do commute and you read a book when you're commuting, if you read and miss your stop, it means you're in the vivid continuous dream that the writer has done. But if you are a writer, you should spend as much time staring blankly out of the screen, out of, out of the window, thinking about what the writer is writing in the book that you're reading, as much as actually reading that book. Partly, you will be thinking, how do they do that? And if you don't spend your time, if you want to be a, if you want to write, then you should, unfortunately, spend a lot of the time when you're reading other things, not enjoying them as a vivid continuous dream, but trying to pick apart how the writer has made that vivid and continuous. But hopefully, you will also be thinking, well, what could I do that is better? Or if I took that character, where would I take that character differently? Or why hasn't the writer done that? And that is something we'll come on to in a minute, is a way of coming up with your own ideas is deciding that the person that is the wrote the book that you're reading didn't do it well enough. So the point of this daydreaming is not to uh, decide what happens in your story, but to familiarise yourself with the possibilities of the situation that you've invented. And the most creative part of the process will come through writing, and the feedback loop you get when you're writing and you're writing a scene and you start thinking about what's going to happen next is going to be better than what you can come up with when you're daydreaming um, because the writing brain is more creative than the daydreaming brain but the daydreaming is there to, um, to save you time. You would have played out in your hypothetical daydream a few of the possibilities of permutations of your situation so that when you actually do get to sit down at the screen and work you've got a rough idea of where you're going to be going. And daydreaming can be non-verbal and visual and cinematic, but it can be sentence-based too. And I think, so, what, so the daydream doesn't necessarily have to be in words, it can just be in thoughts. But I think also you shall, should spend a certain amount of your daydreaming time working on some of your uh, actual text. And that, for me, that should be the opening of whatever it is you're writing, your story, or your novel, or your poem. And if you are working on something at the moment, as a, just the first very mini exercise, could you write out the first line of it from memory? If anyone is writing something, just write out the first line of it. If you can't remember it, probably not good enough. <coughs> the first line of anything that you write will be the first line that anyone else reads, and if it isn't any good, it'll probably be the last line of it they read. However, it's more than that, because the opening line, the opening paragraph, the opening page sets up the parameters and the ground, the ground rules for the reader of what the story is going to be about and like. It tells the reader all sorts of linguistic and thematic things about the story they're going to, re they're going to read without them even realising it. Just very basic stuff like whether it's first person or third person, past, uh, present, but also things like how much information gets given in those first sentences gives the reader a sense of how much work they're going to have to do. So by obsessing over your opening, you can ensure that you know what ground rules you are writing 
Because if you're not aware of those ground rules yourself, you're not going to be writing very well. You're going to be sending mixed messages. And that's not always advice that people give. Uh, a couple of years ago, The Guardian had a very good thing that you can Google called Rules for Writers. Uh, you, can know, you can tell it's good because most of the rules are either obvious or contradictory. And he says, don't look back until you've written an entire draft. Just begin each day from the last sentence you wrote. This prevents those cringing feelings and means that you have a substantial body of work before you can get down to the real work, which is all in the edit. Um, I agree and I don't agree. I think especially when you're starting out as a writer, and especially if you're trying to write something as big as a novel, that you actually owe it to yourself to see yourself improve. Because if you carry on writing in this way <coughs> and you're just starting, your writing may not improve that much and you may start to get a bit depressed, especially when you think how much work will come in the re-edit. The best way to improve is to spend some of your time rewriting and polishing part of what you've done rather than ploughing onwards, although you should do that as well. And if you're going to do some rewriting and polishing, then the best place to do it is in your opening. All right, we're going to get on to an exercise in a minute. Um, all I've talked about so far is daydreaming and openings and stuff that if you are writing something, you would be listening. And if you want to write something and haven't got any ideas, you'll be thinking, well, that's all great, but how do you start? Where do you get your ideas? Um, and that is the other question, you know, proper writers, you know, anyone that comes along that's published books and gets questions at the end always say, where do you get your ideas? Um, and it is a question that is possible to answer in a way. And the best word for the answer is, I think, is Henry James's word, which is a, there's the germ of a story from which it grows. And for some people, uh, John Gardner says it's always the character, you always start the character. Stephen King, in his book, says the situation always comes first, and the characters are completely unfilled out to begin with, come next, and then he begins to narrate and pushes them where they go, which is that the general advice is you shouldn't try and plot out everything you're going to do before you start. You should just come up with a, once you've got that germ, that situation, you allow it to grow organically from that. Um, spotting, I can't give you ideas of how to write a novel. You could open any newspaper and find a hundred possible novels, stories there. They're all there all the time. All you can do is train yourself to spot the possibility of them. Um, to give you an idea of how it works, the two novels, I, can, I know very specifically where the German of the two novels that I wrote came from. One of them is about a sort of middle-aged pop musician. And I was watching MTV and saw a video that it was a solo song by uh, the, the middle slightly, I think it's one of the Bee Gees, and I think it's the slightly uglier one, who possibly is dead, I can't remember. Um, anyway, it was a solo song of his, and he was singing this, this love song, very, very emotive. And then in the back of the, the rest of the video, intercut was, was a sort of younger couple who were sort of falling in love. Uh, and I was thinking, well, once upon a time, when he was in the Bee Gees, he would have been the one to get the girl in his own video. But now he's of a certain age, he doesn't even get the girl in the own video of his own love song. And I, so th that was the germ, and the, th the thought then came, you know, what must it be like to be a successful pop star who starts to become a little bit too old? And the other novel that I wrote, I wanted to write something about the young British artists and Damien Hirst, and I came across a story that after Turner died, the critic Ruskin discovered a load of erotic drawings that um, Turner had done, and he burnt them on a bonfire. Um, it uh, subsequently turned out that's not actually true, and a lot of them do exist. But I, that gave me the germ for my novel, because I thought, what on earth could be discovered after Damien Hirst's death that could possibly shock us? Um, and that is what gave me the germ for writing that novel. So you've got to be able to look at the world around you and spot tiny moments in bigger stories that you can build your own story out of. John Gardner again says, you can do plots in three ways, either by borrowing a traditional plot, or by working from a germ, or by seeing the germ being the end of the story and working your way forwards to that. And I think those are true. Two other stories that I've come up with, one of which I've written, the other one I haven't, are both based on uh, pre-existing plots one is the Greek, both of them are Greek uh, you know, epics. One of them is Antigone, the daughter who buries her 
uh, her disgraced brother and then gets into trouble with her dad. And uh, I thought that, you know, that, that turned into a story about uh, a family, the father is a political, uh, a local councillor, and the, the, one of the sons goes across to the other political party and the, the daughter, all the photos disappear from the house and the daughter comes out and puts the photos back up. And the other one was about Achilles and Agamemnon from the Iliad, which is a, you know, an epic poem about war, but what it's really, the, the kernel of that story is about two generals fighting over who gets the slave girl. And I thought that's a story which could so easily be put into a business environment with two uh, businessmen fighting over a secretary or something like that. Um, and then you can twist it. You can make the, you can twist the gender, you can change it, you can change lots of things about the situation. But that is a germ that can grow into a vastly different direction from the story that, from the place that I originally took it from. Um, I just read an interview recently with the, the novelist Philip Hensher, who wrote a, his last novel is called King of the Badgers, uh, and that he, in one interview he said that that was inspired by the Shannon Matthews case, where the, the girl was kidnapped, fake kidnapped by her own family, he thought he wanted to write about that. Then in another interview he said that uh, the novel, which is all set in a small town in Dorset, and is all about privacy, uh, he was walking through the village where he lives and someone that he didn't know come up to him and said, oh, I hear you, how was that wild duck you ate the other night? And he'd bought some wild duck from his local butcher and the butcher then told that to another person in the village who then come up to Philip Hensher and said, how was your duck? And he said that, that was the kernel for the story, that he didn't realise he was living in that kind of village, he didn't think that kind of world existed anymore. So I can't, those are all ideas, I couldn't have written that, I can't give you ideas um, but you can, if that Antigone or Agamemnon and Achilles story does set off a germ in your head, then you're more than welcome to go away and write it. You need something else, and that something else uh, is inside your mind. So the first kernel or the, uh, the impulse for a story can come from outside, and the other one has got to come from inside, and that is where some elements of exercises and such like can happen. Self-knowledge is essential to the writer because you've got to inhabit other people, you've got to inhabit other characters, you've got to understand how they work. So if you're writing a crime book with a serial killer in, it will only be credible if you can understand how the mind of a serial killer works, or an adulterer, or a butler, or whoever it is. My wife's a psychologist and she does an exercise with her trainees where she says, Think of a secret that you have. Think of your, possibly your worst secret that you've never told anybody. Now look at the person next to you and imagine what it would be like to tell that person that secret. They don't tell the secret, they just imagine what it's like. And that's a way of thinking, putting yourself, putting the trainees in the position of the clients, the people that they're going to be having in uh, their room that they're going to be helping. And I think a similar thing could be done for writers. If you think about a secret you've never told anybody, I'm not suggesting you write it down, I'm not suggesting you write a story about it, although God knows it would probably be a really good story. But the reason why it is a secret is as much the story as the secret itself. And, the and your understanding of why you don't want to tell that gives a level of, of self-understanding which will spill out and develop in your own uh, work. So a lot of creative writing says keep notebooks. Notebooks is out there, and a lot of creative writing says automatic writing, writing exercises. That's about in here. Um, the guy that taught me at UEA is a guy called Andrew Cowan, and he's written a book which he says is meant to um, give a lot of the, basically goes through chapter by chapter what, you, who, what he would teach you if you were doing an undergraduate creative writing course at the University of East Anglia. To that extent, I think it's very, very good. And this is a, an exercise which I'm going to suggest we do now for 10 minutes. We haven't got much more than that. And I'm not going to suggest that what you write now is going to be good, but it gives you an idea of an exercise that you can do. Think of the, per and think of the person that you are closest to in the world 
person that you know the most intimately. You're going to write for 15 minutes, which we haven't got time for, describing what you imagine that person to be doing and thinking and feeling at this very moment. Write in the present tense and address it to you, i.e. you are humming to yourself, standing on tiptoe, you are scanning the top shelf of the cupboard for the pistachio nuts I hid there last night. And the rules of all automatic writing exercises, which the people very often say you should do first thing in the morning when you wake up, are you are free to write illegibly and ungrammatically, you are free to be clumsy and cliched, you are free to repeat or contradict yourself, you are free to write rubbish, you are free to write anything, you are completely free to go off the point, but you must write without a moment's pause for exactly 15 minutes. No one is going to read what you write, not your teacher or your classmates, and especially not the person you're describing. If the person that you're thinking of is sat next to you, then I suggest you choose someone else. Um, I'm going to suggest you do that now for five minutes. Um, we haven't got vast amounts of time. I do want to leave a bit of time for questions if anyone has questions at the end. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this exercise and other similar exercises when we've done. But just <coughs> so that you have a chance to write here, you brought your pen and paper along. Do that for five minutes, and then I'll talk about it.
All right, if you're still writing, well done. You can come back to that later. Um, another exercise that uh, Andrew Cowan has in that book, which I think we <coughs> got from another book as well. I mean, basically automatic writing, stuff that you do first thing in the morning, 15 or 20 minutes. Obviously, for a lot of two reasons why that's good is it's a way, if you can get into that uh, regime, then it's a good way of fitting into a busy life, but also because supposedly you can tap into parts of your brain which uh, aren't accessible for the rest of the uh, day. Um, Stephen King actually talks about the fact that the, he got the idea of misery, uh, it's quite famous, but misery from a dream, and I'm not entirely sure that many of the great works of literature have come from dreams, but it has worked for him. But what Andrew Cowan says, he, has, he doesn't just say, get up and write for 15 minutes. The couple of exercises that he gives have got a very important addition to them, which is that you write for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning in this way, free to write rubbish, then you come back that night and spend an hour on the same piece. So you, you then allow yourself to develop and you start to pick apart what happens subconsciously or unconsciously, and you apply a bit more rigor to that and try and develop the piece and edit it and use the sort of right brain part of the writer's uh, equipment to develop what you've got when you're writing with your left brain. Um, the important, uh, so the exercise that he gives, which um, is equally good, you know, you can write earliest memories. He gives a, a set of 14 uh, titles. I can't remember all of them. One dressing up, undressing, car window, the end of everything, winning, losing, quite random titles. It gets you writing and then you, you come back and you analyse that and that gives you an insight into the workings of your mind because the more that you understand, the more self-knowledge you have as a writer, the better you're going to be at creating believable and credible characters. And all of this basically works you towards the important bit and the hard bit, which is the bit that I haven't talked anything about at all, which is the technique of turning all of this into proper, decent sentences. And that is the hard work, and that's something that I, you know, I haven't even touched on. Um, but there is, there are, that is something that you get a lot of. Um, it's covered a lot in creative writing manuals. But I think it's not worth talking about that if you can't actually get as far as getting some stuff down on the page to begin with. Um, in terms of giving you encouragement and advice in how to get yourself writing, uh, the final thing I want to talk about before um, giving you a chance to ask any questions if you have any. Uh, at the top there are the four books that I've, uh, apart from Freud, the four books that I've um, mentioned if you want to jot down those. And at the bottom are four, oh yeah, there's the rules for writers. You just, I mean, it was from February 2010, but you just Google Guardian rules for writers and you get those. Uh, the bottom three are ways or other places you can go in order to give yourself encouragement about writing. Um, NaNoWriMo, which you may have heard about, is uh, an American thing which is spread to this country called National Novel Writing Month, where you write a novel in November uh, and you set yourself a certain number of words per day and uh, you try and aim to get 50,000 words of what is essentially going to be a rubbish first draft, but a rubbish first draft is better than no first draft at all. Um, someone else, can't remember who it was, said the first draft of anything is shit. Um, so you can take some solace from that. And the other way, especially if you're not writing a novel, if you're writing um, stories, that's a very good way of keeping yourself going because there's all sorts of deadlines uh, available which you can use to force yourself to write something. So the website booktrust.org, I've given the whole, um, the whole address there because it's not actually very easy to find if you don't know where you're looking. Uh, that is a page online with uh, a list of all the prize, annual prizes that you can enter. You know, some, most of them obviously take you, cost you five pounds or something uh, to enter with prizes. Uh, and underneath there's a, uh, a short story writer called Tanya Hirschman who has very helpfully on her blog put a list of UK and Irish magazines that do accept and print short stories. Some of them are print, obviously, a lot of them are online. Um, you might find writers' groups useful. I think they're useful up to a point. I think they're useful when you're trying to find your voice. Um, and you can take along 
bits, different kinds of writing and different uh, styles and see what reactions you get to them. If you're trying to write a novel, I don't think filling into a writer's group is much good. You'll spend too much time reading other people's stuff and after a while you will find that the responses you get are the same. I wrote my first novel by having a, when I had a full-time job, by having a novel buddy. And we wrote five or 6,000 words a month, gave them across and went and had a very nice meal somewhere uh, and tore each other's pieces to pieces. Um, but that way, at the end of the year, I had the first draft of a novel. So that I would definitely recommend as a way of giving yourself the, um, the impetus you need to keep going. And that's it. Um, if anyone has any questions, I will try and answer any questions. Um, I, I really like these auto writing exercises, but um, I find that when I do them, I get distracted from my bigger project. Mm -hmm. um, I wondered if you had any ideas about how to use your auto writing to feed into your novel and your book. I find the auto writing is about things that have nothing to do mm -hmm. with my project. So. If you're trying to write a novel, don't do automatic writing at all. Well, I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, I don't. Do, I don't do many of those exercises because I've got one big thing that I'm aiming for, and the only way to get through a novel is to keep on trudging and plugging away at it. And I think the anything that distracts you from that, even if it comes under the heading of you know useful writerly techniques, is not going to do you any good at all. Um, you can. If you're stuck in what's going to happen next to your novel or your character, then you can probably use automatic writing techniques to do that. But I think that the day, I think I plotted my novels by daydreaming. And I, you know, take, if you've got a dog, you're a lucky person because you can take the dog for a walk and think stuff through. If I'm sat at a computer and I'm not getting anywhere with a the scene, then I go to the shops to buy a pint of milk I don't need. And usually by the time I've come back, I've got something to do. And I'm very interested about some exercise. Any other questions? We can do another exercise if no one has any other questions. We've got about 10 minutes left. Any other questions? Well, how about we do um, the other um, the other one of Andrew Cowan's ones. I'll just go back to that so you can have you can see that. Don't do the, this one. Um, if I read out, I haven't got this on the slide, but dressing up, undressing, Car window, the end of everything, winning, losing. I would suggest you take one of those and try and write. Again, this is not the right place for this is not the right place to do these exercises. But think about the difference between the kind of writing where you close your eyes and write unthinkingly and the kind of writing that um, involves analysis. Dressing up, undressing, car window, the end of everything. We, I'm supposed to clear the, um, the room for the next one in about five minutes. So if we write for five minutes and then I'll shoot you out after that if you're still writing. Well done.
Okay, we are at the end of our time, or I'm at the end of my time. Hopefully, I've given you some uh, ideas and encouragement, not necessarily of what you should go and write, where and write, but how you should think about your writing and how you can make the best of your rest of your life when you're not writing those 23 hours out of 24 or whatever to make use of that time to develop what you're doing. Um, there are two more creative writing sessions, which uh, I have no idea if there's any tickets left for people that haven't booked up, but um, in a few minutes we'll be starting uh, Resh Maruya talking about uh, writing in different cultures, and at 12 o'clock Sarah Solway will be talking about writing and social media and how you can use the one to help the other. Okay, so thank you very much. And uh, if you are doing anything else in these other creative writing workshops, then I hope you enjoy them. Thank you.